does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, we haven't talked Pacers in a bit. Coming up in about a week and a half, uh, NBA lottery time. Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files joins us now to talk more about that. Scott, have we got an announcement yet on who will be representing the Pacers at the lottery? For, for me, the obvious name would be Tyrese Halliburton. No, nothing just yet. Usually that's kind of decided, settled on in the next in the in the ten days preceding that. So I would assume that's kind of what the front office would be discussing and deciding on, maybe in conjunction with the organization. And then there were, there would be two representatives too, by the way. One that's back in the draft lottery room that's closed off. I was actually in it last year. And then the other one that's more just the face that's on stage when all the results are announced on the broadcast. But nothing just yet. So it was last year it was Kelly Kroskoff and the year before was it Nancy Leonard? Do I have that right? Uh yeah, it was yeah, it was Nancy during the pandemic, yep. And uh and then last year and then it was Kelly on stage and Chad Buchanan um in the in the drawing room. So What's it I like being in the drawing room? Yeah, so it's fantastic. There's only 8 media members that were allowed in there. They take all your phones, your watch, all of that and you're sequestered in this room for about two hours or so, um, and you're able to f- see firsthand literally the drawing. Everything you would see online or on TV, it's already done by then. However, we're watching that like everyone else back in the drawing room, but we already know the results, which is funny, uh, once it comes you know, on the TV broadcast. But you just see how organized, how by the book, they have this representative, I believe, from Ernst & Young that's handling the accounting part and the, the security part. There's NBA security. No one can go in or out. And uh, it's just a formal process. And they're trying to demonstrate it, all of it, so trying to uh, keep out all the conspiracy theorists and all of that. And then those that aren't in there, you can watch it like on NBA.com after the fact. So this is different than when the New York Knicks bent the envelope and froze it <laughs> so they got Patrick Ewing and the Pacers got Wayman Tisdale, right? There you go. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'm looking at it right now. Now we're, we're going to do one more uh, sim lottery here since Scott Agnes is with us. This is on Let's the NBA it. Tankathon website. I'm doing the mock draft simulated lottery. I'm spinning the, the ping pong balls right now, and with the eighth pick in the 2023 NBA mock draft Tankathon, you don't have the touch today. The Indiana Pacers select. Cam Whitmore from Villanova University. The the reason I do that, Scott, is because it does feel to me like this particular draft, there are probably three players. And in the case of the Pacers, it might be two players, Victor Webb and Brandon Miller, that they would hone in on and say, that is absolutely the guy that we need. And then outside of that... I don't know that it's a huge difference whether they're drafting like four through ten because I think the players in the eyes of the Pacers at that point are fairly interchangeable in terms of their probability of being stars for them. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I would seemingly agree, although I would include Scoot Henderson in that top group. But this is where it gets interesting, right? Because they've got plenty of guards, guys that size. 
But you're also at a point here of you just need best players available too. And and this front office is emphasized, and I agree with it, is you just take best player available. Don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. The other thing, and I don't know the answer to this, but depending on where the Pacers are selecting, uh, we'll see if it's needed, is what's the comfort level with the Pacers and other teams of potentially drafting Brandon Miller given what may or may not happen down in Alabama? Is, is he a guy that uh, the Pacers would be comfortable with, the fan base would be comfortable with supporting, for example? So I don't think that's a, a no-brainer. But Victor at number one, uh, that's the easiest call probably since Zion. And Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, you, you look at the free agent list for the Pacers. Nobody really jumps off the page of like, oh boy, the, these negotiations are going to be wild. I mean, Shea Brissett's been a nice player, um, you know, a couple veterans, but I think Kevin Pritchard has even said, yeah, those decisions probably won't be needed till we get a little bit deeper into the month of July. So I, I guess what I'll ask you is what is the biggest personnel question the Pacers have in-house this offseason? Uh, we saw the Turner extension, so that checked probably the biggest box you know, earlier in the year. What would you classify as the biggest kind of in-house decision that needs to be made? In-house decision, I think you need more clarity in the backcourt. Um, you could say the front court as well, but I think the backcourt might be a little bit more pressing, both because you want to open up minutes and, and decide on some lineups. If you said external, it'd certainly be finding that – that three and D type guy that can match up and sl- hopefully slow down so in- uh, some of those best players in the world on the, the wing. Yes. But uh, the backcourt, what I'm getting at is your buddy. He okay. yeah. So Scott, here's how we're going to do this. There are five free agents for the Pacers. This is for people that are driving kids to school right now or have kids in college, whatever. This is basically finals week. We're coming down to the end of the semesters. <laughs> so we're going to give grades here. Okay. I'm going to name the player, and I want you to grade for me the chance the Pacers try to re-sign them. Somebody like a Tyrese Halliburton would be an A+. Obviously, he's not a free agent, but you get where I'm going, okay? So A to F. F would be somebody that's like, there's no way that player is going to be re-signed. There are five. First grade, Gabe York. Uh, From a Pacer standpoint, I'll say an F. Okay. James Johnson. Uh... C minus. George Hill. C. Starting to read off Jake's transcript from Lawrence. (laughs) Graduation's coming up, right? I had a lot of Gabe Yorks. Yes, sir. All right, Kendall Brown. I'll I'll say a B, but with the caveat of being a two-way deal. Okay, and finally, O'Shea Brissett. C plus. Brissett, to me, is interesting, Scott, because theoretically – He's the only of the four that might have some market value elsewhere, and I think he has some value to the Pacers, but that value might exceed the availability of space they have for him. I think it, it all starts and ends with what the roster looks like when we get to that right. point. Yeah, post-draft. He, he, yeah, post-free agency even. I, I mean, he's a guy that once you shore up your wings, hopefully, maybe uh, if you move off a, a – guy in the back quarter two or a front court guy then you re- reflect back on your roster because every roster could have a guy like O'Shea because he, you're going to need someone like him especially in the middle of the season injuries happen a guy that will do the dirty work or a guy just doesn't have it so and he can play like two or three offense. different spots right I mean that's kind of what yeah, I like exactly about him right. yeah he's flexible he, he's not one that's too too big of himself he's gotten over himself 
I think is something Pat Riley talks about all the time. And so he's comfortable with what he can do. He's a team guy. He's Tyrese Halliburton's best friend, which I don't overlook. But also it's not a pressing need. Um, and you're not really negotiating, I don't think, with too many teams out there. So he would like to be back. I think they would like him back. But it's one of those that's not on the first two pages of your notes to get to. Yeah, I was talking to him at a charity event in the fall. Said he lo- lives in Westfield, loves it. It's got a young girl. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan of you know kind of what this is. This home, this new home is meant to him here after you know probably an uncertain start to his NBA career. Again, Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, you know Kevin Pritchard. I think it sounds like I'm like calling out Kevin Pritchard for being like hotty toddy with this, but I think he talked a big game at the end of the season about like, you know, what they attempted at the trade deadline based off taking some big swings and then very open-minded to doing that again. How much talk do you put into that and how much action? Like I'm kind of the thinking the big move this off season will be whatever the lottery pick is. And maybe you trade up, you know, with some of these five draft picks and you maneuver a little bit there, but um, will that be the big move of the offseason, or do you think there is a little bit of actions behind Kevin Pritchard's words on potentially a bigger splash involving a current NBA player coming to Indiana? Yeah, I think one of the I, I'm ex- I would be surprised, KB, if there's not one relatively significant trade by them in this offseason, just because it makes too much sense. They have the cap space, they could do uh, a sign and trade, for example. Uh, and they have far too many draft picks in the roster and the the development of this team is capable of. So I think that opens them up to a bevy of opportunities. And to your point about uh, what Kevin had to say at the exit interviews and also at the trade deadline, what was interesting to me was that he offered it up. Um, Because normally you want to keep stuff like that private. So I was trying to read in, okay, the Brian Windhorst, why would they tell us that? What you know? What is going on yeah, there? Yeah, does he want um, the fan without, base to know he was trying? For, I think it's that. It's hey, we're trying behind the scenes. It's not that simple. And in fairness to that, draft picks, the inflation of dr- the value of draft picks are way up because of last offseason. What Rudy Gobert went for when he's really not worth that. I mean, there's no one in the league. I don't think that wouldn't take rookie rookie Walker Kessler over Rudy Gobert just because of his contract and and all of that. But I mean, you saw guys dealt for five second round picks you know, that they were trying to get off of, things like that. So I do believe it was very real that they tried to go after people and it, they just didn't evaluate the cost. Uh, the, the cost of it was just outweighing what they were comfortable with, which I understand. But I did find it noteworthy that he wanted to make clear to everyone, hey, we did go after him, promise. We, we did go after him. And so I do, going into this offseason, expect at least one trade because they really need it and it makes too much sense. And then, and a lot of it will also depend on where this, these draft picks shake up, both their first one and will they get Houston Rockets at 32? Because then things really get interesting if they have what, 20, 25, 29, and 32? Those are three really interesting picks right there, with the most interesting probably being 32 because it's a non guaranteed contract, so you can right away sign the guy to a four year deal that's a little bit more interesting that's not fully guaranteed, too. Scott, with the patient, let's say hypothetically, Scott Agnes is our guest, by the way, from Fieldhouse Files. You can also read his work on our website. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Scott, with the Pacers, if you look at their, you know, outside of their first pick, and they have those other picks, and we just talked about, I mean, I, I don't know that they sit on all those picks, but will they be in position if they were going to hold on to one of those later picks 
to just go best player available? Or do you think that their roster is such still that there are enough still glaring needs that they have to plug? Or have they kind of gotten their base down pat? What I've learned over the years is when you get away from best player available, it's dangerous. And so I, I believe you're you're at best player available there. Um, maybe you get down the road in a, a second-round pick or a late second, then you can try to target something specifically. But I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to still go away from that best player available, though you are targeting, certainly, yes. More of a wing, uh, staying away from a point guard and a center. Really, those middle three spots, I think you can make it work from there on out because this position list and how you're trying to play away. But I guess maybe what you put an emphasis on maybe is defense if you're trying to emphasize one thing more than any. And Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, a couple questions maybe away from the current Pacers team. Uh, what is Lance Stevenson doing in Puerto Rico? Making money. He hadn't played in a year. And one, this guy will play anywhere, anytime. He'll tell you that. But also, it's a, it's a quick way to get some money. I think the season lasts a month and a half. Um, DeMarcus Cousins is playing in that league, for example. There's, really? there's been several other NBA guys. He just played uh, DeMarcus, I think it was last weekend, in fact. But more than anything, um, I see this as a way to get for him to get some money. Not that he needs it, but, I mean, what you want him to capitalize it while you can. And also, just trying to play, make a name for himself, maybe get some fresh highlights going into the offseason. Um, but money's the number one thing, KP. I did laugh at the fresh highlights aspect to it. The month and a half season, wouldn't we all like to have that that sort of job? Okay, uh, last one from me, Scott, and I apologize if I'm catching you a bit off guard with this, but I thought I saw yesterday, maybe earlier in the week, that the Phoenix Suns have done something in relation to kind of their Bally Sports or their regional sports network and how they're broadcasting games. Are you familiar at all with this story? Yeah, so they just got a new owner midseason, Matt Ishbia, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan State type guy, um, mortgages, stuff like that. That's his business. Yeah, anyway, Dan yeah, Gilbert, right? Yeah, that's his biggest rival. Absolutely, <laughs> I love it. And he even talked about that yesterday. I think it was with Bill Simmons, basically saying, "Yeah, I don't like the guy. I'll shake his hand." But you know, this is a rivalry here. But uh, to your point, in simplistic terms, I-, I love what he's doing here. He's saying, "Look." We want to market to our entire fan base, not just those that can that subscribe to a, a, a regional network that have cable. We want to hit more eyeballs, and so they're attempting or planning to get out of their Valley Sports contract. That's their regional network as well, and go over the air. So you can have bunny ears, antennas, um, stream it online. I'm not sure exactly how they're planning to do it, whether it's their official site or launch their own app or within the Phoenix Suns app or whatever. But generally, as they're saying, we're rejecting the regional sports money and going at it by ourselves because we want to hit more fans. And yes, we're probably taking a hit on the front end, is their belief, but on the back end, we'll have more fans. They'll be more engaged. They'll want to come to games. They'll buy our merchandise. That's the bet they're banking on, although... Um, Bally Sports is, I think, suing them now, trying to say, hey, breach of contract, all of that. So I can tell you, one, I'm really interested and encouraged to see something different here. Um, and you better believe all the owners across the league are following this closely, seeing if this is possible or not. Because to this point, Kevin, all we've seen is, I think, Steve Ballmer uh, allow for additional broadcasts, secondary broadcasts, through the NBA app, if you have a league pass where you know maybe it's a players-only type broadcast or, or in Spanish or things like that, 
they have not done something different off the regional networks with their their original broadcast. So it's it's something that's very interesting, especially with the NBA here soon negotiating a new national TV contract. And if fans don't know, the regional sports contract for each team is generally their biggest moneymaker um, for their individual revenue. So it's something that they don't take lightly at all. So they, what Phoenix is doing, and I don't think every owner would fall into this boat, they will be turning down that TV contract money mm-hmm. and basically saying, that's a hit, but we can take that hit. Boy, I I just can't see that being a trend with owners, particularly maybe in this market. Uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn with that, but I don't know. I, I don't feel like every owner would, would fall into the same boat in that line of thinking. Yeah, especially at the very beginning, because imagine the startup cost, the establishment of all of that. One way to look at it, to be clear, is, is marketing expense. So whatever your marketing budget is, maybe you pencil off some of that in this. And one thing I've pushed locally, for example is I don't like how among the four Pacer preseason games, only half are usually available unless you have, you know, yeah, that's always odd to me. Yeah, it makes no sense. You know, maybe if you have DirecTV or occasionally a leak pass might show it, it might not. You just don't know. In this day and age, there's no reason why, especially in the preseason, I'm showing those on Pacers.com or, or some other route to make sure that those are being aired and fans can follow my team. It's an opportunity to see the new guys or the younger guys. Um, so yeah, the, the uniqueness about this too, is they have Kevin Durant. So you got, you got a superstar that you can sell, um, versus yeah, if you're talking Indiana or Orlando or Charlotte, that's much more difficult to sell. But among the great appeals of the NFL is it's available to anybody with a TV. You don't have to have a cable package. Um, and so I think that's one thing they're trying to experiment with here. I'm telling you, they need to figure it out or make sure they have it secured because, I think another year probably of optimism and then it gets real for Indiana. And by that, I mean, Scott, I really mm-hmm. do believe it's fascinating. I mentioned it the other day, the Colts and the Pacers both now, their timelines are kind of on the same page, right? I think people understand that these are two franchises that are, maybe the Pacers are a year ahead of it, but that they are probably in year two of a three-year process where they're starting to move their way up in the in the East to become a player, but it's going to be one more year probably realistically. Agree? Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I'd last or Two years ago would have been year one. That's the bottom, you hope, and, and that's what it, I think it will be. And then you had a, a slight increase. You had the 10 wins. You had some optimism. You figured out who one of your stars is. Now moving forward, you get back to the playoffs and you allow for your team to experience that. I think we've seen a lot of teams – you know, the younger ones especially need to experience that for the first time. It was great to listen to Tyrese two nights ago yeah. talk about that and his desperation to just feel those big moments. And, and Ty- again, Tyrese has not been in the playoffs. Buddy Heald has not been in the playoffs. Miles has not been in the playoffs for, what, going on four postseasons now? It's very different. Uh, it's, you know, the energy level, the intensity, the, you know, just catching your wind, much different. So, I believe next year is all about getting back to the playoffs, experiencing that, and then yes, I would agree, Jake. Then, then you hope to be a contender. You, you know, a guy like Benedict Matherin's a third-year guy. This year's draft pick is a second-year guy, more confident, and you go from there. But their expectations are certainly back on this franchise. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, the last time the Pacers won a playoff game. Oh yeah, it's a long while, KB. I think the Colts had just drafted Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson's going into year seven. Like it, it, it's you just got to go back to Paul George in 2014. 
Yeah, well, series, yeah. I, I I was just gonna say playoff game, period. Just any game oh, okay. in yep. the postseason. But yeah, playoff series, you gotta go back even further than than that. Scott, uh great stuff, man. We'll certainly have you on a little bit more if you don't mind coming up around the lottery and as we get closer to the draft as well. Hope you're enjoying a bit of quiet time. Yeah, absolutely. Less than two weeks we'll have more clarity on these draft picks and then we can go from there. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. You bet. Thanks, guys. A couple traffic updates. Mark just retweeted this from WIBC Traffic. I-69 Martinsville closed in both directions right now because of a crash. Traffic being diverted down there at Ohio Street. Um, There's about a mile backup from Ohio Street in both directions. So for those... Uh, either coming up from Martinsville, Bloomington, you know, further south than that, or heading in that direction. Um, watch out for that. I also was driving down Meridian this morning. All of a sudden, got to 22nd. And it was closed. So I don't know if that was just an overnight thing that still hadn't been maybe fully cleaned up yet. But yeah, I had a uh, closed road at Meridian in 22nd this morning. How about this? I had to go Tuesday uh, over to the near west side as part of our the gold badge series that we're videotaping right now on kind of the history of the founding fathers of the speedway and and i always forget when you're going west is it 29th or 30th that goes right around that armory like right over the river yeah 29 i think it's 29th right yeah anyway the bridge is closed yeah right there before like coffin golf course yes riverside so like i'm like wait a minute with the race coming up, they're going to have to get that figured out, right? Right, yeah. Cold Spring and 30th is a huge intersection from a race standpoint. Yes. Um, yeah, certainly. I don't know. Maybe it's stuff you're trying to get done before we get deeper into the month of May. I mean, they, they better get out some Cut duct tape. <laughs> Cut <laughs> it a bit close, I'd say. <laughs> I guess, right? Boy, you I imagine mean, this weather next week, Jake, for the Grand Prix? Oh, man. let's Kevin? Yes. I can imagine this weather now. Well, it's just, we leave it there, right? Because the Grand Prix is important for walk-ups. I think there are a lot of people that literally wait till next Thursday and like, hey, what's the weather? Oh, yeah, I'll go out there and do that. Yeah, I'm looking at the forecast right now. Let's just hope that being over eight days out, they're way off. Or what if they're super accurate? We always have such a negative negative opinion on, on the weather. I'm saying let's hope they're way off because the forecast right now for the Grand Prix is not good. So well, last year was awful. I can't remember which was last year's. Was that just that rain-filled race? And yeah, that's right. Like I couldn't even see like what was going on. Yeah, massive, just like puddles almost, and water being splashed everywhere. Uh, all right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Zach Kiefer from the Athletic joins us. Morning, Zach. How you guys doing? We're good. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's nice to have the draft in our rearview mirror. Yes, draft of the rearview mayor, rookie minicamp beginning 
uh, tomorrow for the Colts. Rookies will be arriving to Indianapolis here later tonight and then uh, out there at practice tomorrow and Saturday. Um, Zach, I'll, I'll start here just overall draft-wise. I think in the Chris Ballard tenure, at least I and I think all of us are kind of used to, he drafts dudes that are athletic, play in the Senior Bowl, and are team captains. Like That's pretty yeah. normal for him. What I thought was different about this year's draft, and certainly quarterback stands above the rest, Zach, I thought there was more emphasis on the premium positions, like quarterback, corner, wideout, tackle. And those are the first four picks. I think five of the first six fall into that category. You know, he's taken wideouts and corners somewhat early in drafts before. But to check like all those boxes, I don't recall a draft that has this and didn't have like a guard or a safety or a linebacker or a running back early in the draft class. Yeah, it's about time, right? Sure. Like, not all positions are created equal. And certainly not in today's NFL. And I think they knew that. And I think when they when they do this self-scout after the seasons, they, they realize that their highest-paid players are not at the positions that win games in a lot of senses. And I know Shaq Leonard can turn the ball over a lot, but you look at the left guard and the linebacker spot and, and the problems they had at quarterback last year. And the thing that's stuck in Jim Mercer's mind that he really probably won't ever get over is what happened at the end of 2021 when – you had a running back take over the league in a lot of senses. And what did it get the Colts? Nine and eight and watching the playoffs from home. So, no, that's a really good point about sort of these premium positions and no linebacker at all. You know, no no right guard, no left guard at all. And honestly, I'm fine with that. I don't love the right guard situation right now. I know they're talking up Will Fries, But the reality is you need to win games with these certain positions. And I thought it was interesting. You know, Chris Ballard always sort of has a – an, an objective going into the draft. Like, he wants to get better at one particular area on his team. And, and this year, it was obviously the secondary. He wanted a lot of young players in the secondary. And we were trying to figure out what their sort of approach is in that area because at the owners' meetings, we asked them. And they had just traded Stephon Gilmore. And, and Chris is like, yeah, we like Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers. And I'm like, man, you are playing with fire. Like, no offense to those guys, but, like, if you start those guys on the outside in week one, like, that's going to be a rocky road. And and Juju Brent can come in, and, and I'm not ruling him out starting, but it's going to be fun to watch that secondary grow. But the one thing that's sort of underlying all of this is a complete reset of expectations. This team doesn't need to win this year, and I think they're willing to take some growing pains that come with it. Zach, when you look back, I was thinking about this last night. You and I have talked about this before. And that sometimes I think Chris Ballard, you know, after certain moves are made, you then look back and you kind of go, you know, he, he basically told us that was what was going to happen and we overthought it. I mean, I've been yeah. guilty of that. Uh, when you look back at the pre-draft conversations, interviews, press conferences, the ones that he does do, how would you grade Ballard's tra- – and he he doesn't owe this transparency. I'm not saying it that way, so I'm not holding him to it. I'm just saying I think oftentimes he's a little more transparent than we give him credit. Was this one of them? Yeah, Jake, I thought the same thing. I thought about this, and it hit me right away Thursday night when they turned in the card for Anthony Richardson very quickly. I thought I was right. So my premonition six days prior after his pre-draft press conference, which is typically – a whole lot of nothing, right? But he said one thing in there that was very telling. He said, everyone has us pegged for one guy. I'm not sure that's the case. In fact, I know that's not the case. And my sense was that was Will Levis. A lot of other people assume the same thing. 
That's what he was talking about. He was talking about Will Levis. And the other thing, Jake, that, that popped into my mind was a question I asked him sort of off to the side at the end of our session at the NFL Combine back in early March. He was kind of giving us the runaround and kind of, you know, you know, just giving us GM speak. And I said, okay, like, let's be straight. How do you feel about the fourth pick? And by that I meant you're picking fourth with, you know, you're not going to get your first pick a quarterback unless you trade up. And he said, I feel great about it. We're going to get the best player in the draft. And he kind of gave me that Ballard smirk. And whether this is the best player in the draft or not, we won't know for five years. But I think Anthony Richardson has a shot. And the bottom line is, I thought he was more transparent than a lot of us realized at the time. Um, Shane Steichen said, you know, at one point, you can teach accuracy. You can scheme for accuracy. That's very relevant to the conversation Shane Steichen had with his scouts through this process with regards to Anthony Richardson. So to answer your question, Jake, I really do feel like, for the most part, Ballard tells us what he's thinking. Now, he's not going to give us the details on where they have these guys stacked and all that, but in a general sense, he tells you more than most. Along those lines, and this is a moot point now, I realize, Zach. Zach Kiefer is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I don't know that Kevin and I really talked about this, but to start out round two, you know, Jim Mercer sends a tweet that says, what do you think, Colts fans? Should we draft Will Levis and go with a Montana, Steve Young type approach? I got to thinking about that. And considering Will Levis had gone through the disappointment of round one of not hearing his name called, was there something – was he trying to, to bait other teams into, into moving around or was he just simply being Jim Mercer and having fun on Twitter? It seemed like an odd tweet to me. What say you? Really weird. Really weird, right? I think it's a little bit of the latter. I think he was having fun. I think he was feeling the rush of getting the guy that they wanted, right? There were some tense moments when they found out a team had traded up to three. What if it was Seattle? What if it was Las Vegas? What if it was Detroit going to get Richardson? When they found out it was Houston, you know, the room kind of exhaled, right? But then secondly, Jake, this is something I've talked with Ursay in the last year, year and a half. He's really of the belief that you can play two quarterbacks consistently. This is not just a strange off-the-wall Ursay thing. I think he thinks it's where the league is going. So essentially, to break it down, you have a, a passing quarterback and a running quarterback. The Montana and, and Young thing doesn't work for me. They didn't play at the same time. Right. Young took his job. Yeah, they were passing a torch, basically, right? Yeah, it's, it's Rodgers and Favre to a degree with just a messier end. But it, it's weird. But you know they weren't going to take Levis because Ballard was making the call. But it, it's a weird tweet. At a weird time, and I almost felt like it was kind of piling on Levis. He had a rough Thursday night. I would agree. I it, let me ask you this, Zach, and I'm going to be over Freudian. I know that's going to shock you, but let, let me give you a theory, and then you tell me how much glue I've been sniffing. Okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> Those PEDs are the many. Uh, yeah, that's we're right. Have to test out for that. What about the fact that Ursay? was a late arriver to the Richardson party and in the back of his mind what little doubt he might have had left about whether or not it was the right guy he sent that so that he could subconsciously or subliminally get the reinforcement of the fan base to say no 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 you got the guy you got the guy in Richardson let's go AR like you know da 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 to just kind of cement it in his mind of okay let's go I'm good with this I think we're talking about a fair amount of glue sniffing here. 
I think okay. we're talking about like a Billy Madison amount of glue sniffing. <laughs> Um, Rubber cement. I, but but my point I, being, I think that Ursay was the last in the room to transition from Levis to Richardson. Well, there is some credence to that. Because one of the most pivotal conversations during this entire process was, look, and I was told this was a Shane Steichen pick. Like, this was his guy. So that being said, during March and April, how do they get to that conclusion, and you got to convince the owner. One of the most pivotal conversations in all of this was about an hour-long meeting between Ursay and Steichen, where Ursay basically like laid down the hammer and was like, okay, if you want this guy, you need to tell me why he's going to get better as a passer. You need to tell me why I'm drafting the guy fourth overall that started 13 college games. And we know from talking to Ed Dodds, Ballard's number two, the assistant general manager, he had some of the same reservations. This was a very candid conversation with Dodds, on Saturday night where he said, look, like his first reaction when he started looking at Richardson was like, what are we doing? This is, this is 13 games worth of tape. So there were real reservations. Now Steichen wanted them and, and Ballard came around as well after he started to pour through all the pressures. But I think that's a fair conclusion. I can't say for sure that Jim Mercy was the last to get on board with Anthony Richardson. Um, but I think the tweet Friday night was just him. I think they were on a high. Right, they finally pulled the trigger on a quarterback, and I think they were gloating a little bit, almost to say like we got our guy. Um, but but the court, the two quarterback thing is really strange. And just file that on the back of your guys' minds. We who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of years. Zach Evers with us here from the Athletic. Zach, you know, obviously we'll get a little glimpse of Anthony Richardson on the field this week. Thirteen practices will fall the rest of the spring. Obviously, training camp will have a lot more eyes. I, I would guess the Colts do some joint practices, preseason games, all that. What do the Colts need to see between now and the end of August for him to be the week one starter? Yeah, I was talking with JMV about this yesterday. I'm probably in the minority. I, I'm not seeing him starting week one. Like, everyone needs to chill out. Like, this guy is 20 years old. He turns 21 in a couple weeks. He's only got 13 college starts to his name. And I totally hear the other side of the argument that he needs to play. He needs reps. But, like, KB, you know how camp goes. Like, he's going to have good days and he's going to have bad days. And I think what Steichen is looking for is, is to see how he responds to the bad days. Because we have seen tailspins before where a guy has a couple bad plays early and he just never recovers. Like, we watched a training camp in 2021 where we didn't see – these quarterbacks complete 40% of their passes. Like, my eyes are still burning from watching that Jacob Eason training camp. And it might not be a ton different with Richardson. He's going to make some wild plays with his legs. The fans are going to love that. He's probably going to connect on some 50, 60, 70-yard passes. Fans are going to eat that up. But to be good in this league, it's all about that consistency. And it's how you back back, bounce back from, from bad plays. And if this defense is as good as it was for stretches last year, they're going to punish him. Now, not having Gilmore is going to hurt, but I think it's how Richardson responds to the grind, right? He's going to have the splash plays, but for him, the next step is that consistency. And I think you'll know. I think everybody that comes out to Westfield in August, they're going to know if this guy's ready. And when you watch him in the preseason games, when you watch him against the ones in a live joint practice, you'll have a feeling whether this guy's ready or not. And, and more so, if he's not, it, I think it'll be pretty obvious. And, look, I get you want to see him play, and I get the impatience factor, and I get what Jim Irsay wants. But this is not about 2023. This is about 24 and 25. And 
What if you throw him out there and he's really bad early, and then you got to go to Minshew? Then you've created another problem because then when do you go back to Richardson? Look, this is this is not Andrew Luck in 2012. It's not Peyton in, in 98. Like this guy's not going to just walk in and be ready. And so I don't think it hurts anyone if he just does a little scout team for four to six games. I know that seems like a lot, but they need to think about the next 10 years, and throwing them out there too early could backfire. I feel like a part of Richardson that we haven't really given enough um, whatever acknowledgement to is this, Zach. Obviously, the accuracy topic is well-documented. I mean, hell, we had his quarterback's coach on earlier this week to chat about that. But with only 13 games of experience and playing on a 500 college football team, I don't think we know very much about Anthony Richardson in the fourth quarter. I don't think we know very much about Anthony Richardson in big-time moments. You know, you can point to positive moments this past season. Tennessee game against a quality opponent, really good. LSU had some, you know, big plays in that game. You could point to a matchup with Will Levis, awful. Uh, The Florida State game, you know, Florida's biggest rival, didn't play good in that one either. So I I do feel like that is an element to being on the pro playing side of him of – we all watch the NFL on a weekly basis. Why do we love it so much? Because oftentimes you get to the final five minutes of a game and it's still undecided. And how a quarterback looks in those moments, a la Carson Wentz, versus how you know other quarterbacks look, that can be the separator. And I think that is a big part to kind of his development that we just didn't get a lot of it at Florida. And that's kind of an unknown on top of the accuracy thing. Yeah, I think the Utah game is another I was following yeah. where he made some great plays late. But no, you're right. That's and good point. Look, that's that's a real point. Like, you can't replicate that in practice. You can't do that in the fill room. It just comes down to whether he's a dude or not in crunch time. And they're gonna know. Like, there's no fake in that. There's no. There's no like you can't talk to talk. Like you got to do it when the game's on the line. And these grown men who are making a lot of money and whose lives and careers depend on your performance look at you, but you made an interesting point. What is the one separator that convinced Chris Ballard that Anthony Richardson was a guy? It was his pocket presence, right? It was his reaction to pressure. That's what he watched, a lot of that tape. And you just mentioned a guy who didn't react well to that. That was the biggest separator in all of this between Richardson and Levis, because Levis has more experience, is a little bit more accurate, but his poise in the pocket, and this this is my words, not the Colts' words. The Colts just lived through that. A very strong-armed quarterback who didn't have poise in the pocket and threw too many interceptions, and that was Carson Wentz. And I just wonder, they would never say it, but I just wonder how much that stuck in the back of their mind. You know another thing, Zach, that I was thinking about with Will Levis? when when During the process, w- there were things about Will Levis that popped up, and I know that we had fun with the, the coffee mayonnaise thing or the banana or whatever, but the more people you talk to, the more it seemed like Will Levis, there was like this polarization almost even within, uh, like of people that have been around him, of some that were like, yeah, he seems completely clueless as to the perception about him. He seems completely clueless as to like the the question about him. And then other people that are like, but his teammates love him, da da da. So like, who cares about all? And those were the exact same things that to me, I was like, that sounds like Carson Wentz. And that like, especially the processing part. Yeah, and they're just there. There has to be a PTSD off of Carson Wentz at the very top within the Colts organization that still lingers, right? Uh, Jake, it's 
it's in the mind of one man. I mean, to start with, <laughs> it's, it's Jim Irsay. It's not, he's not hid his disdain for his former quarterback. Um, but, look, you're right, and, and they bet on the traits, and, and they didn't have sort of that intangible poise that we just talked about. I think you're right, and I don't think it helps them at all to mention that, but the reality is that's really what started this downward fall was the flaws in that 2021 team. And like I mentioned a minute ago, a historic season from Jonathan Taylor, more rushing yards than anyone in franchise history. They didn't even sniff the playoffs, and that, that stuck with them. And you're right, and, and, and I really dug into that during the draft process. I was sort of mystified by this, like, you would tweet about Anthony Richardson and you'd get some people being like, I love his talent. But when you would mention Levis, it was it was right or left. It was black or white. It was like there was no middle ground. Yeah. People hated him. Hated him. And I'm like, he's just a kid coming out of college. He's a good kid. And then some people loved him and thought he was the, the truth. And I went down to Kentucky and got a much better feel from his coaches and his teammates. Like, normal dude, nice kid. I will say this, like the combine is not a good media setup for any player. It's a cattle call. It's a bunch of reporters trying to get them to trying to bait them into saying something stupid or viral. It's terrible journalism and I don't really think we learn a whole lot from it. And that's a big part of the whole process is how do they respond to questions at the combine. But I was always struck by that. I didn't feel like that Levis was this firebrand that Wentz was. And that was a little bit like Wentz back in the day. It was like you had some believers and then you had some people who just wanted nothing to do with him. And so I feel like Richardson is a nice change of pace for this team. But, no, I think you're onto something, Jake. I don't know that they had that same comparison in the back of their mind. But, you know, like in, instinctively, they might not have even recognized it. But there were some similarities. And, I, and I'll leave you with this. Dan Brugler, who does our beast, our, our just enormous draft guide, he wrote at the very end of his Will Levis evaluation, the very last line was, he has pluses and negatives that are very similar to, to Carson Wentz. And that, that for me, stopped me right there. That was just like, okay, maybe this isn't the guy. <laughs> Anybody else in the history, you know what I mean? I feel like, reminds me a lot of Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, okay, yeah, we can live with that. The Carson Wentz. If you want to be compared to in this city, it's probably Jeff George. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Exactly. No doubt. Last one. Appreciate the time. Um, they are just words. It is May, but I, I got the vibe from Kenny Moore yesterday that if I were a Colts fan, I, I that to me sounded more like extremely hungry, ungra- undrafted free agent Kenny Moore trying to get the second deal than how he acted certainly last offseason and how his play came off of last year with the contract issues. You know, the, the phrase of... You know, how do you react to a contract year? Work, work, work with no entitlement. It, it, again, they are words. It's all he can do in the month of May, but it sounded a whole lot different than last year from him. Goodness. I, I talked to him on January 10th, the day after the season, and I told myself after that conversation, he's out. He's done. Mm-hmm. He's going to get traded. Or, I mean, it, it, was, it was that obvious. And anyone who would have been in my shoes that day would have thought the same thing. I mean, he was like, this didn't click. I wasn't a guy. They didn't put me in a position to succeed. He basically stopped sort of saying, I want the heck out of here. And it's completely different now. And he looks genuinely happy, and he looks a little humbled, right? He had some pretty good conversations with Gus Bradley, the D.C., with Chris Ballard. And he seemed very, very happy yesterday. He kept talking about how happy he was. And like you said, the, the takeaway was was that undrafted, you know, 
like grit that sort of made him in this league is what are you going to do next? I'm going to work, work, work with no entitlement. He knows what's at stake. He knows he's playing for that last big contract, likely of his career. He knows he's by far the most experienced in a very young cornerback room. But the only other thing is like this, this scheme ain't changing. Like this scheme does not emphasize the nickel like Eberflus's did. We got a sense of that early last year, like late July, early August. We talked to Kenny one day, and he kind of hinted that, like, his position in this defense isn't a focal point anymore. And remember, Kenny was such a versatile weapon. He was a Swiss Army knife. He was a guy they would bring up to the line of scrimmage and have him blitz, and he would touch Mahomes. He was, a, it was just a weapon in the back end with his interceptions, and he was a great open field tackler, probably the best on the team, including 53. But... Like you said, I mean, I just don't know how much different they're going to use him. And, and I'm not saying they can't, but apparently these conversations have eased his frustrations. But it, it doesn't matter. It, it's May. It, all that matters is how he performs in September and October. But I do feel like a hunger in, in Kenny Moore this year to prove that he can be the old Kenny Moore. Yeah, I would agree on that. And obviously actions will speak louder come September. Zach, thanks, man. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Have a good one, guys. Honestly, I would say of fight songs that are out there, Jake, I've watched North Carolina play numerous games, been on the losing side from a fandom standpoint of many of those games. I'm not too familiar with their fight song, though. I would agree with that. And I've always wondered As why they're... As a Clemson they're... fan, you've probably heard it before. But... Well, yeah. But that would mean that North Carolina just scored, and so therefore I'm upset. But sure. nothing against Carolina. I, I've also wondered why they have a Ram and they're the Tar Heels. Oh, well, I have a feeling you're going to ask our next guest that question. We (laughs) would like to talk Josh Downs. You want to talk mascots. That's right. Uh, Jones Angel, the North Carolina play-by-play voice, joins us now. Before we get to that, boy, edge-of-my-seat mascot question. Uh, Jones, you said uh, the Colts got an absolute steal in Josh Downs. Why is he a steal? First of all, you know that there's actually a live Ram on the sidelines uh, during the game uh, for Carolina against Ramsey. So there's the, like the mascot Ram and a live Ram. So we've got double Rams going on. What about a what about uh, during the game? What about Ram um, trucks? Or is that in violation yeah, of the F one fifty love uh, fest? No Ram truck. I think we're a Ford. Uh, we're a Ford kind of place <laughs> yeah, here in Carolina. Good. So uh, there's no Ram say. trucks. There but, goes that in uh, Great to be with you guys. Uh, I'm gonna tell you why you got. I mean. Here's the thing about Josh Downs, and I even kind of noticed it in the little video that he put out in social media yeah, after he was picked. Like, look, Josh Downs is small, right? Like, He's not the biggest dude out there, but he has used that fact and the fact that I think people look at him and go, ah, he's a little small, probably not that great. He's used that fact to drive him ever since he started playing. And he is one of those guys that is just absolutely dedicated to being the the best he can be and and to get every ounce of whatever it is that he has, and that's a lot. Um, He's dedicated to getting every ounce out of it. And so whether that's, 
you know, putting in the extra reps after practice, whether that's doing the little things off the field, whether that's boring stuff like eating right and getting enough sleep, you know, just all of that. Um, Josh has always been really dedicated to doing all of those things. And so um, he is going to be as successful as he possibly can be because he's going to will it to happen. And so uh, that, that's why I, I feel that way. I, I thought whoever got him was going to get somebody who's not just a really good football player, and he's got the speed and the shuttle time and all the stuff, all that. But he really wants to be good and dedicates himself to doing it. He is A, a precision route or a precise route runner yeah, who catches so. everything or be like a speed behind defenses kind of guy that then can catch the difficult ball or see both that's a little bit of both i mean if you ask me what is his best attribute it wouldn't be just pure speed and i and i say that in a way not to make colts fans worry and think that he's slow or something because that's not the case but what he does best is he finds ways to get open He's very precise in how he does it, and he's dangerous when he gets into the open field. You know, he's one of those guys, you know, what the coaches like to say, you know, it's hard to tackle in a phone booth, that kind of stuff. He, he's that guy. Um, he's really good in space, and he's good getting that space before the catch and then getting himself extra yards and his team extra yards after the catch. Um, I, I'd say that would be that would be the attribute I would say is his strongest. And he does. Uh, he's got great hands. Um, Josh can make competitive catches um, in, in traffic. And so just a really complete receiver, in my opinion. Um, now, he is, again, a little bit smaller. So, I mean, I, I do think he will – likely play mostly in the slot um he did play outside some at carolina he played mostly on the inside but then as his career uh advanced the Tarios moved him around some and did play him outside and quite honestly guys they had to move him around because other teams were double teaming him so much so they had to they had to continuously make it difficult for the opposition to know where he was or they had to actively look for him uh before every play and so um just a really quality player that I think is, is going to make an impact. I think just hearing that type of whiteout that screams Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, guys that have absolutely killed the Colts over the years. So I think this is the type of skill set that maybe the Colts can finally find some damage with. Again, Jones Angel is with us here, the North Carolina play-by-play voice, called Josh Downs games each of the last couple of seasons. Downs was terrific, especially the last two years at Carolina. Jones, on Wednesday, or I guess it would have been Friday, on Friday night when we got Josh Downs on a Zoom after the draft, super emotional, super fired yeah. up. Chris Ballard walked into the draft room a little bit after that and said it was one of the best draft calls he's ever had in his seven years as general manager, just listening to the kid. Um, how would you describe Josh Downs? Well, I think he really loves – I think some of that is that he loves football and that he's been around it his whole life, right? I mean, his dad uh, played – He was a, his dad was a terrific running back at, at NC State, um, has been a, a coach at a, for a long time, is still a coach uh, at East Tennessee State. Um, his uncle is Dre Bly, who is – you know, one of the best players that Carolina's ever had um, as a defensive back. And Dre actually just joined the staff of uh, the Detroit Lions uh, this offseason. He's been on staff at Carolina for a couple of years. Um, so Josh has been around the game for a long time. And, and I'm guessing, I don't know this because I didn't talk to him, but I'm guessing that some of that emotion 
was just that this is something that he's wanted, and, and this is something that he's worked for, and this is something that he's been around and thought about and trained for, and um, he has as I said in that first answer, he's kind of poured everything into getting to this point. This is what he's wanted. And so have to imagine for somebody like that, it, it is a little overwhelming when you finally do hear your name called and you have that moment. I'm sure it was a little bit emotionally overwhelming for him. And so um, I'm really excited for him. I just think he's a first-class guy and a really good football player um and i'm guessing that moment kind of washed over him a little bit on on friday night as it would most people jones angels our guest he's on the payless Sugars hotline he is the voice of the north carolina tar heels jones i remember in high school when i did play-by-play for i mean high school football i'm not comparing it to your job but we had a guy that went on to play in college that Every time it was third and eight, you knew the ball was going to him. And every time it was third and eight, you knew the ball was going to him, and he got and he moved the chains literally every time. Is that this kind of guy? Yeah, so I think especially not this past season, but the one before that, guys, I, I do think that Josh Downs – so uh, let me back up a little bit. Carolina's been really lucky in the fact that the Tar Heels have had some really – top-notch quarterbacks here in the last couple of seasons. You know, they had Sam Howell, who is uh, you know, going to be in the mix to, to start for the Commanders next year, and, and or this year, excuse me, and then Drake May. And, and Drake's got a great chance to be you know, number one or number two overall pick uh, in this upcoming draft uh, a year from now. And so they've had two guys uh, that position the last several years who are very, very good. Um, and both of those players, I think, considered Josh Downs their what a security blanket. Yeah, their safety one net. Yeah. The guy, yeah, whatever you want to say. You know, the guy they looked to, when they needed to make a play and they knew it was time, they looked to Josh Downs. Um, I think part of some of Carolina's struggles near the end of the season in each of these last two years is the opposition knew that too. And so they really dedicated themselves into slowing Josh Downs down. Um, I think that when he gets to a place like the Colts where he may not be the number one option all the time, I think that would actually enhance his his level of danger for the opposition because he is such a talented guy. So there's no question. When when Carolina needed to make a play in the pass game with those high-level quarterbacks these last couple of years, uh, Josh Downs was the guy they looked to. And what is his drawback? What what, If he is not going to blossom in the NFL, it's going to be why? Mm, That's tough. Yeah, I I do think the size is just something that is – just there. I, I don't. I don't even know what Josh was listed at at the combine. I'm guessing it was probably five ten, five eleven. Um, he he is a little bit smaller, but I think he has always again used that for fuel. Um, but to me, guys, I mean that is the only. That's the only knock that I think you can find on him because, again, he has worked so hard to make sure everything else is a strength. The catching, the route running, the ability after the catch, all of that is there. He just naturally is not a really big guy, but that's okay. We, we, I think as we've seen from multiple positions in the, in the NFL over the last several years, if you can play, it doesn't matter if you're 5'8 or 6'8, you can play. And so um, I think Josh Downs can play. 5'9, 171 is what he came in. Yeah, that sounds about, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And he did some punt returning, right, Jones? Yeah, he did. And, and I think that'd be a valuable asset for him at the next level. He, yeah. he was really good in one. that regard. 
he, he was really good in that regard. I, I think he goes. He made good decisions in that regard, as far as you know, fair catch, non-fair catch, that kind of stuff. But when he got the the space, that that is to me um, where he can be so valuable again is when he gets space. And that punt return game is an area where that can happen. I think that is an area. That's a good point. I think he could blossom at the next level. Yeah, and again with life after Naeem Hines, Colts kind of searching for that punt returner, Jones. Great stuff. Jake, did you want to ask him your, your mascot question? Oh, yeah. So so the Ram fella, is that just because it's the if mountains of If you have to go, Carolina? Jones, I totally understand, by the way. <laughs> no, you know, so the Tar Heels is an interesting uh, nickname, obviously. In North Carolina, is the Tar Heel State. And there's a lot of different uh, old wives' tales as to why that is uh, on there. The one I have always heard the most goes back to, they said that, that – uh, soldiers in the Civil War from North Carolina always were, you know, dedicated fighters, and they never retreated like they had tar on their heels, is always what I gotcha. have Now, okay. uh, that has been one that, yeah, that's maybe not as PC now as it was uh, 50 years ago or whatever, um, but I've always heard that one. Um, but there are a lot of different old wives' tales as to why the Tar Heels are the Tar Heels. Um, why the Ram is the mascot, that's a little bit of a, a larger mystery. He's always been there, Ramses is his name, and like I said, there is the uh, the live Ramses that's got his horns painted blue, and there's a family in town that's actually raised, I think, all the Ramses through the years. I think we're on five or six at this point um, who uh, who will be there on the sidelines for the Tar Heels. There you go. I love that. We know Absolutely all about that. having to explain the origin of mascots when we're the when one of our schools is the Indiana Hoosiers. Believe me. Yeah, I understand. It or the Boilermakers. Confusing sometimes. Yeah. Jones, great stuff, man. Thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, enjoy, I guess, a bit of a quiet time before things ramp up back up for you. I appreciate it, guys, and uh, looking forward to next season. Always enjoy watching the Colts. It's funny, Jeff Saturday did some radio work with us uh, oh. over the last several years. In fact, he was our color analyst uh, for a couple of games this past season, um, and then he always did a pregame segment for us, and then all of a sudden, obviously, he was a little bit busier and uh, couldn't do it. So, uh, always enjoy watching uh, the Colts play, and uh, certainly hope you guys uh, have a great season upcoming. Both of us share the Jeff Saturday radio, That's right. uh, radio relationship there. Thanks, Jones. All right, guys. Talk to you soon.